Corporate. It was a wonderful, rich conversation about health equities and uh, and the nonprofit that she runs, Health Equity Solutions. And now I'm getting to sit here with uh, Jeffrey Forte. That's correct, Bob. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> he is an education law and child advocate. And so um, what we're going to be talking mostly about today is uh, – the disabilities, children's disabilities, and the educational needs that have to be served. That's correct. We're going to be talking about the individuals. Get right close to the microphone. We're going to be talking about the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, mm-hmm. um, otherwise known as the IDA, which essentially is the law in which my practice um, encompasses. Okay. Um, and thanks for having me on the show, Bab. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, I, I do about one or two uh, free parent workshops every month so um this is kind of a way in which i get out to a larger audience um Mm -hmm. for the benefit of of your listeners um one of the most important things to understand here is that to put into a context we're talking about a law in which children that have a disability that is recognized under the ida have certain rights to access special education and related services and if a school is not providing that access and those rights, then they are violating the law. Mm-hmm. And then you have to attempt to work collaboratively with the school district to ensure that the rights of the child with a specified disability are being implemented with fidelity. So under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, first a little bit about that, right? What is it? Um, it's otherwise known as the IDEA. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was enacted by federal Congress in 1975. And the interesting thing about special education rights and the law that developed about it is that it actually developed from the civil rights movement of the 1950s, okay, Um, which was a seminal case called Brown versus Board of Education. Yes. Okay. So we're talking about Brown, right? 1950s, total different era in the world, right? And based on that civil rights movement, okay, education was found to be one of the most important functions of state and local government. Mm -hmm. So from the Brown decision, which essentially held that the segregation of public schools is inherently illegal and violates the U.S. Constitution, based on that case, other cases within disability law spawned in the 70s. Okay. And that culminated into what we now know as the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Okay. Okay. All right, so give me an example of a disability that would warrant uh, this conversation. Sure. So there are about 13 or so, and they're actually um, identified under the IDA. So for any mom or, or dad um, or surrogate parent that or foster parent that has a child with a disability, okay, the first thing is you need to make sure that your child gets properly diagnosed, mm-hmm. okay? So there's really two things, right? The first is the child's age. So, Babs, the child has to be between the ages of 3 and 21. Okay. Okay? So we're talking about that finite amount of time. Uh, Next, they have to have one or more of the qualifying disabilities under the Individuals with Disabilities Act. So what are some of those? Well, one would be autism. Okay? One would be deafness or blindness, uh, developmental delay. Emotional disturbance. And what do I mean by emotional disturbance? Well, children that um, intellectually are learning common like their typicals, but they have emotional challenges 
that they are unable to benefit in a general education classroom. Okay. All right. Um, hearing impairments. It could also be physical impairments or orthopedic impairments, um, traumatic brain injury, developmental delays such as dyslexia, mm-hmm. or speech and language impairments such as if a, if a child has um, challenges speaking, right? And other impairments such as ADHD, attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyper dis, um, disorder, or Tourette syndrome. So once a child between the ages of three and 21 is identified with one of these qualifying disabilities and the child needs to access an education um, that is individualized, that is when this law then protects that child and now they develop what's called an individualized education program or what's, mm-hmm. called, what's called an IEP. Yes. So now they they Throwing can, a lot of acronyms at your no, audience I, here. No, I you know I, I I I'm a mother. I have four yeah. four children that I adopted, and uh, uh, I've had an IEP for one of them. Okay, so yes, and uh, and we're struggling with him now. Right. Um, trying to wrap services around him. So I find it interesting. So special education, um, can be done. It's not it's not necessarily them taking a child out of the school environment. Mm-hmm. It is bringing the special needs services into the school in how yes or so, depending on what you whatever is necessary yeah so that that's a great question so there's really kind of two directions all right and under the spirit of the law the spirit of the law is that you are to work collaboratively with your local school district so you pay taxes you reside you're domiciled in a certain town your child goes to that closest school within your district okay mm-hmm. that district then has to legally, under the law, provide your child with special education and related services as required by evaluations of the team, of the school team. In Connecticut, it's called a PPT, yes, which is the planning and placement team. I just had one of those done with like a bunch of players around the table. Yeah, right, yes. And the, the, the people around the table make, <coughs> make up the team. So what's important to know is that Parents are just as an important and vital part of the school team as are the administrators of the school team itself. And you have certain rights when you attend a PPT meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, first, as you may know, since, since you have a child on an IEP, is that a school district has to provide you with written notice of the PPT. Okay. And everyone that attends the team uh, that would be the director of pupil services or the administrator of special education, the general education teacher, the special education teacher, and then any other services, related services that your child may need. So if your child has speech uh, impairments, Mm -hmm. then you would obviously want the speech and language consultant or the speech and language therapist at the table at the PPT. Oftentimes, I find that um, a school district may try to attempt to excuse a participant of the team without getting the parent's written consent, mm-hmm. and you can't do that. That you can't do that under the law. See, I want to talk about some of the shenanigans because I can, I, I can imagine, and I know that this kind of concept can be quite intimidating to parents. Oh yes, because it's a language that is spoken around them 
but not to them. I mean, just my own experience with it. And I've I got a bunch of degrees and whatever, whatever, whatever. But I, a parent who's like different, you know, th- does not have the same academic achievement can be quite intimidated by this method of t- around the table. Yes. Uh, and and I, I got to tell you, you know, you sit around these tables and you feel like your parenting skills come into question in ways that, you know, I was like, wait, 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 what's happening here? Yes. So, yes. so I, when did you come in? Sure, that, that, that's a great question. So I really like to think that I'm here today on behalf of all advocates in the state, as well as all special education lawyers in the state, right? Mm-hmm. We're very supportive. Are there many? There, there are a few, yes. And we're very collaborative with each other. And whether you need to hire an advocate or a special education lawyer, um, some advocates aren't lawyers. Um, I happen to be both. I happen to be a certified child advocate as well as a special education attorney. So where I typically engage and work with a client is I walk them through and empower them to understand the PPT, the planning and placement team process. Mm -hmm. So I will attend these school district meetings. And you're right. You know, for parents, it could be very intimidating. You're talking about up to 10 people in a room um, on, on the school team. And then you have mom and dad or, you know, sometimes just mom where they're listening to information that's that's being provided to them. They're getting documents that they're reading for the first time um, and trying to listen at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it can be quite intimidating. That's why I always advise the people that call me and my clients that you are entitled, if you request it in writing, to receive any and all documents, any and all proposed goals and objectives. So for, for parents that are on it, that a child on an IEP, you know what I'm talking about, and draft IEPs five days in advance of any meeting. And a lot of parents just don't know that. So you can actually I, I now, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So Honestly, I didn't know that. And it's important. A lot of parents don't realize that you can do that. The other thing is, in Connecticut, you are legally entitled to record a planning and placement team meeting when you're discussing your child's individualized education plan, the IEP. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of parents don't know that either. Well, as a best practice, if you do plan to record a PPT meeting, what you want to do is you want to let the school know in advance. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the law in the state of Connecticut actually protects a parent to record a PPT under certain conditions, um, which then could be elongated and interpreted into other means. Um, the first is if the parent has a disability themselves that impairs their ability to fully comprehend and understand what's going on at mm-hmm. the PPT meeting. So if you have a hand impairment that um, allows you not to write well or write fast, or English is your second language, not that that is an impairment, but if English is your second language and you don't have the communication ability to fully understand what's going on, the case law in Connecticut supports that you have the right to record the IEP. So now you can go home at your leisure and listen to it again and again to be a more collaborative, mm-hmm. collaborative is the key member of the PPT team. But when people call you, Jeffrey, they are really up against it at this point, right? Yeah. Because the guy, the idea is to not have to call you to get something resolved or get heard or get services or whatever. That's right. That's right. So typically, 
when I'm getting involved, Babs, um, the the spirit of collaborating um, is gone awry, right? The, the school team and the parent team, there's some friction and possibly some hostility going on. And I have to engage to determine whether or not we should be re-collaborating with the district or if we should be seeking it through the formal legal process, which is, okay. called, which is called due so process. So you're not coming in just like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You have to spend a little time and see right. what's happening. Right. So a lot of the, a lot of the reasons why I would be called um, really for you know, an initial consultation, initial appointment, I'm looking for things like, is a child being denied a free, appropriate public education? And we get into what the acronym FAPE means, free, appropriate public education. Um, but other things is, if is the child being provided with an education in the least restrictive environment, otherwise known as LRE? Mm -hmm. You can't, um, without the consent of the parent, um, and under the law of the IDA, you have to educate a child with a disability in the least restrictive environment because they have to be able to socialize and generalize and learn with typical peers. So you can't just wheel them down the hall or put them in some room by themselves or not at all that would be a okay that would be because they used to do that <laughs> they they did they did um and and that's a we have a lot of unfortunate history in the in the united states about that um that would be uh restraint and or seclusion and that actually also violates uh the the law but the other reasons would be you know more kind of um day-to-day -day challenges would be if a school district has reduced or denied the number or the hour of services that a child is receiving. <coughs> so if you have a child that has uh, physical impairments and requires physical therapy and occupational therapy, which, by the way, is a related service that your child is entitled to should they need it, and those services are reduced or denied, well, that would be another reason why you would need to retain uh, a special education lawyer or a certified child advocate mm -hmm. to advocate back or to initially get those services. Um, another important milestone to remember in a child's education um, uh, tenure is that when a child starts to become at the age of 14 through 16, under the law in Connecticut, a child has to have a transition plan at the age of 16. What does that mean? So a transition plan is how do we transition this child to have a beneficial outcome after high school, right? What are their goals and objectives? <laughs> um, what type of occupation do they want to have? And if we're talking about a child that has impairments and disabilities, we have to get you know, technical and focused on that. And if a child is not being provided a transition plan, um, that would be a violation of the free appropriate public education. So tell me something, Jeffrey, do schools know they have to do this? <laughs> well, yes, yes, they do. They do. Um, what you would typically start is if a child has disabilities um, before the age of three, if the parents recognize that, typically what they do is they get involved with um, birth to three services. Yes, I, we had that. My son arrived with no ability to speak. Right, right. And he didn't really speak till he was about five. Right. And, you know, moms always know best, in my, in my opinion. Right. <laughs> so uh, once you realize that there is a developmental delay, a milestone yes. challenge mm -hmm. and you do get your child diagnosed under birth to three services, which is, you know, income uh, uh, contingent and so forth. 
most likely what happens is a child is emerging into pre-K within their local school district yes. with services that are being recognized. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate circumstances are when a child is just not found to be eligible. And what does that mean? Sure. sure. <laughs> so, so you mean to tell me you, there are, I'm the mom and I, and I say, but this is what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I said, listen, this child is not speaking. I think there's a problem here. And they said, well, maybe he'll grow into speaking. All children are different. Wait and see. And I was like, no, I, I can't wait and see. Mm -hmm. He's three. He's not speaking. Yes. Yes. So, so I had to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. see the, the push I had to do? Yeah. So, so yeah. So under the, uh, under the law, there is a proactive approach in which a school district has to find children. It's called the child find clause. And under the child find section of the IDEA, a district has to proactively find children that may be suspected of having a disability. And they can even request eligibility, initial eligibility, and let the parents know that we feel that there's a problem. But typically what happens is a parent will notify the school district that they feel that there's some services going on that they need. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the initial evaluation starts. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, but, you know, there's other reasons, too, in which you would need to seek out legal representation. If a child is being overly disciplined at <gasps> school, okay, which is a whole And this other, is a big deal right now. It's you, a really big deal right now, especially what's, with everything that's going on in, 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 the, in the U.S. Um, if a child first, we're, again, we're talking about a child that is protected under an IEP, that has an IEP. And um, if they have behavioral challenges, um, and what do I mean by that? They're getting suspended at school. They're getting disciplined. They're being sent to the principal's office over and over and again and again. The law, again, on a proactive measure, on a collaborative measure, qualifies that child to be evaluated for a behavioral assessment. Mm -hmm. And the acronym for that is an FBA. <laughs> So you see how parents could get oh, lost, yeah. right? Thousands in Alphabet City, we alphabet could just get parents. lost. Yeah, I actually have an Alphabet Soup blog on my site. <laughs> but um, an FBA is a functional behavior assessment. And it looks to identify what are the triggering behaviors, what are the triggering events that are um, making the child act this way. Mm -hmm. And typically what happens is if those behaviors are interrupting the other students or not enabling the child who is uh, misbehaving to access their own education, then an FBA typically is warranted. Is it ever a good idea to take children out of a classroom in handcuffs? No, no, not at all. That happened to my, 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 my friend. Oh, really? Seventh grade, her son. Really? Taken out of the class in handcuffs. Well, you know, if I'm going to give her your number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's I, you know, because I don't think she knows. Yeah. And, you know, ch children have rights if police are called to the school as well. You have Do to, they? Yes. You have to call the parents. And if the parents <gasps> really come down before the child is, is uh, interrogated or, or questioned by the police, you have to get the parental consent if they're under the age. If they're, if they're young. Yeah. But I never see. But, you know, you know, we never see that. Right. Like, I never see that part i right. always see right typically what happens is 
the police department may be called as well as, you know, 911 and ambulance services. And I have cases in which those incidences occur. Mm-hmm. And especially with everything that's going on right now, um, things could be misinterpreted, um, especially with their with the heightened scrutiny that we're all under right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, school administrators as well. Yeah. Um, you know, they're looking to protect other children that are in the school, obviously. So and I, I, and I understand. I mean, I, I guess I do understand it. So, Jeff, how do you do this work? Like, how do you. <laughs> Good question. How do you come to this work? Well, um, you know, I have a lot of personal history with with representing kids. Um, I used to work at two of the largest law firms in the state and I did a lot of pro bono work. I really enjoy doing this. Um, my wife is also in the field clinically. Mm-hmm. as well um so you know it's something that i've always done but um really now have been exclusively focusing my practice on this frankly because there's a real need for this fact that's what that's okay? what i that's what i was getting at there, like there, there's there a seems need. to be a real need for this yeah yeah and you know as parents become more educated and empowered with um with listening to examples like this right you start to understand more about the IDEA. You know, figuratively speaking, the law is actually a pretty, you know, uh, fairly new law. It's only been enacted since 1975 mm-hmm. and then uh, restated uh, twice since then. And there's other laws within it that um, have, have actually become kind of concerning. In the 2004 provision of the IDEA, if a parent files a frivolous action that has no merit, um, you know, kind of like intentionally just to, to, to shake the tree um, against a district and the district wins, arguably that district can sue the parent for the school district's attorney's fees. Now, does it, does it, does it happen often? No, but there is a provision in the IDA mm-hmm. that protects that so parents cannot bring a frivolous action. So typically, if a parent's already filed for due process on their own, um, without legal representation, you're really just kind of going in blind and you shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. You wanna make sure that your due process action has teeth and merit, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know, some of the related services that we're talking about are important to know because we're not just talking about education in and of itself. We're talking about the services that support the deliverance of special education. So what would those things be? Most common, transportation. Mm. Transportation can be just as expensive, if not more, than the special education placement of a child with a disability. Well, you know, we're having this, uh, you know, I'm in New Haven, and the Board of Ed is having this conversation now about how much money millions that are spent in transporting children all across this city, right? Right. Millions. Oh, it's, it's very expensive. And the, the, the issues that are involved with that is if a child needs more than just your typical bus, the school district is obligated to provide that specialized transportation as a deliverance of a related service under that child's individualized education plan. So what examples would that be? What have I seen? Well, if a child has a physical impairment where you need a ramp to access a van or a bus, let's say a child has a disability in which they need to have air condition on the bus, otherwise they have a, um, you know, a physical issue, then that bus needs to be air conditioned. Wow. 
let's say you have a child that um you know bolts and escapes and evades um you may need a paraprofessional to be on to that sit with the child on that bus mm-hmm. door to door with a log and it, uh, you know video really yes absolutely so these are all things that you have to really advocate i'm getting for. a real education because i had no no yeah. idea yeah and you really do have to have a plan as to what you should be seeking from your district at a ppc meeting mm-hmm. but the other things too um you know parents um often misinterpret that parent counseling is something that is also covered so it's not just related services for your child, but it's related services for you as the parent of the child. Mm-hmm. And what would I mean by that? Well, let's say you have a child that you have a son or daughter that really um, has some challenging issues and you're just not really aware of how to handle that. Well, the school is obligated to provide you with counseling. I've never heard that. So that is to ensure <laughs> that the services, yeah. That, you, know, you know what I'm gonna do tomorrow. You know what I'm gonna do Monday, <laughs> yeah, right? You see counseling, yeah. <laughs> And march that, right over there. That really gets into this this aspect of generalization. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if a child is being provided with services at school, how are those services generalizing into the home environment? And how are those services generalizing into the social and community environment? Oh, that's and interesting. That, that seems like a lot of work for a school to do. It does. It does. And that's why they often... Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's why they often don't do it. But also they may seek out private services that then are paid for by the school district, which which really kind of gets into another thing. um, And that is called an independent educational evaluation. So have you ever heard of of what an IEE is? Yes. Acronym IEE. Mm -hmm. Okay. So an IEE really is a... It's a public policy aspect of the IDA in which it allows for a parent to, on some level, have an equal playing field with the school district. So an independent educational evaluation is typically requested when a parent disagrees with a school-provided evaluation. So we'll put it into context. Uh, You have a child that has... um, physical impairments, as well as uh, significant speech delays, right? But intellectually um, can progress just as common as the other (coughs) typical students within their classroom, okay? And the evaluators say, well, you know, we think we're only going to provide your child with a half an hour of physical therapy a week. Or we're not going to provide your child with physical therapy at all because we feel that they're about to be making continue, continuous milestones. If you disagree with that PT evaluator's report, then under the law, your protection is that you have the right to request. You don't have the right directly to have it done, but you have the right to request that an independent educational evaluation, in this example, uh, a PT independent evaluation be conducted. I don't think parents know any of this. Yeah, they, they, I, I, you know, a lot of parents <laughs> I don't, don't. I don't think parents know any of this. They, they don't. Um, you should be speaking at PTA meetings all over the state. <laughs> well, I, I gave a presentation once, and we had uh, about 50 people uh, at a city hall. 
And um, I, I stayed for about a good hour and a half after the program, Babs, because there were just so many questions I couldn't just walk away from, from not answering. But with, with an IEE request, a school district under the law has two options mm-hmm. and only two options. And it's important for parents listening to your um, program here to know that. The school district either has to grant your request or bring you to due process. Okay. Explaining to an impartial hearing officer why their evaluation is um, correct and this and the parents request for an evalu- independent evaluation is not needed. So this is where parents often struggle um, with navigating these waters because if you request an IEE without the reasons for knowing and, and prepping for that, you can very well be facing a due process action uh, quite really yes and the school district and the school district attorney, will then be bringing you to due process to uh, explain why their evaluation is correct and your evaluation is not needed. But that doesn't that supersede what the parents want? It does. It does. So that's why when you hire a special education lawyer, you're looking for reasons why to support why an independent education evaluation is needed. Mm-hmm. And under the law, you technically don't need to explain yourself as a parent why you are asking for one in the first place. But typically what happens is you start to negotiate this process and try to collaborate on a mutually agreeable evaluator that is not, um, that is not employed or paid uh, by the district. The, the district pays for the evaluator, but they're not on the payroll of the school. Okay, I see. Okay? I see. So that it, it tries to make it an even playing field. So we're coming in with an independent evaluator that um, isn't necessarily um, on the school district's payroll, but also isn't necessarily uh, exclusively for the parent. And we're collaborating to get an evaluation done separate from what the school district is providing. Wow. And actually, just as um, just as about a couple weeks ago, the Bureau of Special Education for the Department of, uh, Department of Education of the State of Connecticut issued uh, 13 or 14 page guidelines on IEEs. And there was a task force that was created about how school districts should be implementing best practices about IEEs. And um, some of those guidelines, which interpret the provisions of the IDEA, indicate that a parent's IEE request must be granted or denied um, without undue or unreasonable delay. And they propose and recommend that that time frame is 10 days upon which the parent has requested it. Mm-hmm. Now, that time frame could be extended if you're now starting to negotiate and collaborate who would be that evaluator. Okay. But if, you, if the school district isn't simply getting back to you within that time frame, I would submit to my clients that that time frame now has been passed. And now you should be seeking and going forward with your own evaluator and telling the evaluator that the school district's going to be paying for it since they just did not get back to you. So are some school districts better, that, better at this than others? Uh, there are. There yeah. are. And it really depends you know, where you are in the state. Uh, there's also the, the issue of that there is a lot of turnover, Babs. 
within um, within education generally. You know, the average tenure of any particular director uh, within a district, I believe the uh, the reports and the evidence indicate that it's about five years. Oh, okay? so you as the mom or dad are really the only forever permanent pre <laughs> present yeah. advocate, right, for your child. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's important. One thing that I always tell my clients, it's, it's important that you create a binder. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about how if you do need to retain an advocate or a lawyer, what you should do um, to, number one, make it you know cost efficient, but also so the lawyer or advocate can also um, absorb and get up to speed just as much as the parent is in a quick fashion. And that would be by creating a binder. And that binder should really be in a chronological order uh, with the uh, beginning uh, services from all the way back to perhaps birth to three. Jeff, where were you a decade ago when I needed this information? But it's going to help somebody else, though. Well, yeah, I was working at I was working at one of the largest firms in the state. I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've done lots of different types of litigation. Um, I come from this approach a lot different. Um, I, I've negotiated for a number of years. Um, I've done lots of large litigation. But at the heart of it, you know, one of the reasons why I actually went to law school is really because I'm I'm about representing the individual mm -hmm. and representing families and. This is such a rewarding practice because you get to make a difference one child at a time. Okay. All right. Yes. Just yesterday was a great day because um, I had a child that was not otherwise getting the services that he needs and actually was home from school for six months. Private, what? Privately outplaced to a uh, to a private school that the district now had to pay for, and it was it's a it's a very reputable private school, uh -huh. uh, a school for children with autism that need, now he's getting the services that he needs. And that's really what it's about at the end of the day, is making a difference one child at a time. It just seems like parents have to fight so hard they to do. get what is needed. Like, I, you know, I just, I just keep thinking, this ought to be an easier, friendlier process. Like, I'm just trying to get my kid educated so that they could be productive people. Right, right, they should. I'm and, not trying to take anything that isn't right. Yeah. mine right or for him to have right you're you're simply asking for what your child is entitled to under the law and that's what i always make sure that parents know but on the flip side too you know not to not to paint a a, a bad or difficult picture of of school districts you know i like to think genuinely at the heart of the matter babs that anyone that is in the field of special education whether Cares. whether it's for parents or on a on a you know systemic level and working for a district, mm -hmm. they got into this field because they genuinely care. Yeah, okay? I, I agree with that. Um, and I would say you know that's you know that's about ninety nine point nine 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 percent accurate. Right? Mm -hmm. What happens though is when you get a volume of students that need these services, and then you know you get uh, reduced funding, and you get the state that we're in with with state budget cuts, which yeah. by the way completely are irrelevant okay a, a, a school district cannot say well because of budget cuts we need to reduce your son's or your daughter's uh specialized education that is actually illegal really they cannot do that oh okay? it has to be to their needs their tailored needs it can't be based on the lack of funding okay but what happens is you know children get lost in the system so 
that's why you need someone that's kind of forever present. Mm -hmm. That typically is the parent. But when you engage a lawyer like myself, you now have somewhat more of a uh, even playing field in that process as you progress in the special education um, process. So talk to me a little bit because <clears throat> we we got twenty minutes or so. Yeah. I don't. I saw something in your bio, uh, in your professional bio about bullying and and uh, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Do you handle the I, what? What is that like? Talk to me about what that looks like. Sure. So. So bullying is something that um, actually I think it, it's it's getting worse rather than better, and there are guidelines around it. Um, bullying I think is getting worse because especially now you have social media. So when do I when do like when do they call you for the bullying? Sure. Like what do you get the call about? Yeah. So I'll typically get a call where a child uh, refuses to go to school because the bullying has gotten so severe that it's causing them anxiety about even going to school. And the anxiety that is being caused isn't necessarily anxiety that's being caused on the brick and mortar of the school ground, mm -hmm. but rather is being placed on social media about what may happen at school if the child goes to the school. Oh. Okay. Now, although the bullying is occurring off school ground, if it is affecting the child's ability to access education, then that is a qualifying event that your child is protected under the bullying rights of, of Connecticut. Oh. Yeah. So what do you do? You come in and you, do you? Well, a couple things. First, you have to file a bullying report, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, ha you have to file a bullying report, and that would lead to an investigation that the school district is obligated to provide you with. Oh. Now, do school districts always provide an accurate one um, and, you know, kind of just summarize it as it being mean, quote, mean-spirited behavior? Mean-spirited behavior is a buzzword because under the law, if the action doesn't qualify for bullying but just qualifies as mean-spirited behavior, then there's no bullying. Oh. And then there's no incident of bullying. Okay. Okay. So, so that's their out. Right. So certain examples, right? Um, I've seen it where a child is choked on a bus and a, the investigation report just um, says, <clears throat> yes, it was mean-spirited behavior, which under the law, any physical altercation automatically is bullying. So how could a district determine that to be mean-spirited behavior? So then you could reopen the, um, the investigation and disagree with the outcome of the bullying report. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to, to state that I see both sides, Babs, all right? I see and represent children that have been bullied and children that have been bullied that qualify under the Individual Disabilities Act. They're actually being bullied because of their disability. Okay. Okay. But then I've also represented and actively now in representing children that are the bullyee, the bullier, mm -hmm. the children doing child doing the bullying, but they are also protected under the individual. So what do you do with that? Act. Do you talk to the parents? I mean, what happens? Sure. So in a lot of cases, a child can get suspended. They can get expelled. The school district can seek outplacement. And if the district failed to adequately and with fidelity identify 
what the child's behavior and the reasons for that is, then that is an issue. That is an issue that could lead to a violation of the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Gets into what we were talking about, about how you would retain um, a specialist that uh, analyzes a child's behavior called a board-certified behavior analyst, mm -hmm. okay, or a BCBA. And I actually happen to know quite well a, a board-certified behavior analyst that also has her PhD in applied behavior analysis. So you would want to have those services engaged to determine why is this child acting out? For example, if a child has uh, auditory challenges, okay, they hear things differently than you and I. Mm -hmm. They hear things differently than a typical child. And when the bell goes off, okay, for uh, change in classes, that causes them to have anxiety or it, it just resonates in their head so much that they have sensory processing disorders, <coughs> okay? And then they start to throw books around. Well, it's not that they're misbehaving for misbehaving's sake. I see what you're saying. Something is causing it. Yes, they're misbehaving. That's heavy. I mean, that's a lot. It is. And that's that, a lot to sort of digest. It, it is. And, and that's why I explain to parents that in this area of the law, it's so important to have a therapist, um, a clinician, a psychiatrist, psychologist working with your child to the extent that your child's going to need these services. Because if there is ever an issue where they are arrested for something that may have been misinterpreted because they don't have a proper social filter. Okay, oh, well, I've, we've seen that. You know, um, or or um, you know, something happens at, on school grounds. It's important to have these experts, just like with any case, you know, you need experts in order to explain why something happened. And with my practice, um, I know lots of experts across the state. So what we typically will do is we'll collaborate with the school first, right? Because that's really, after all, what the spirit of the IDA is. And come to the table with our concerns. And that's really what you want to do first, mm -hmm. all right? Typically what happens, though, is the parents have already done that. And it's not working. So now that's when you bring an advocate or a lawyer to the table to get the services that you were originally requesting. Wow. Okay. So <clears throat> if y'all just tuned in, we're about to bounce out of here. Um, I'm Babs Rawls Ivy. This is Love Babs Love Talk. I'm talking to Jeffrey Forte, <laughs> Esquire, Education Law and Child Advocacy from the Forte Law Group. Um, this has been a really illuminating conversation around this language that I don't think parents just know. Yeah, that you know, they, a lot of parents really aren't familiar with it. And what I do actually, um, on my Facebook page, I um, am committed to putting on at least one or two free parent workshops a month. And what I'll typically do is I'll hold them at local libraries. Mm -hmm. I have one coming up at um, uh, in Norwalk uh, pretty soon as well. Uh -huh. And really just educating parents. Because the more that I can empower parents about this field and the more they can advocate on their own, if they're not getting anywhere, I now know and can immediately jump in into a matter. Um, the other thing that's important to know, um, speaking of things that parents don't know, right, is that parents are entitled to receive a complete copy of their child's education record. And that is through what's called a school records request or what's called a FERPA request. 
again, another acronym here, FERPA, F-E-R-P-A. And FERPA is the Family Educational Rights Privacy Act. And under FERPA, what you would do is you would file a FERPA request. And, you know, it sounds more intimidating than it is, but it's really simply a letter mm -hmm. to your district saying, you know, hello, I'm, I'm mom of, 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 of son Bob Smith, date of birth such and such, he attends such school, and I'm requesting one free copy, which I am entitled to under Connecticut law, one free copy of my child's entire education records. And that would include all grades, report cards. Really? Yes. I had no idea you could get that. Evaluations, assessments. It even includes, Babs, emails that you sent to the school and the school is sent to you, but also any emails and communication, hand notes, video written about your child, um, any notes among administrators and teachers and evaluators within oh. the school district, hmm. which can also provide some interesting information if you're, you know, if you're not collaborating with the school team and you need to find some some information that is going on about your son or your daughter. So typically, what happens is. I engage the school by filing this school records request on behalf of the parent. Now, under the law, you have certain time frames in which to receive those records back. Uh, depending on when and the timing in which you're receiving it, it's anywhere between five and ten days. That fast? That fast. Wow. And um, if you request it annually, what you want to do is you want to continue to get the records um, year over year, and you're entitled to get those records supplemented to your child. Wow. I've learned so much, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad that we got a chance to do that. I hope you come back. Thanks, Bob. Because this was really you. good and very illuminating. And um, I don't think people know. I, listen, I, I consider myself well-read, well, a smart person, and, and I do my due diligence, but right. I just learned some stuff today that I didn't even know. <laughs> And I got four kids. Yeah. yeah. You it's, know, it's important. It's really important. And it's great that you have programs like this because the mission is really to empower parents to handle this. And also, um, there's an event coming up that I would just like to let everyone know. It's called Seek of Connecticut. And I'm, um, I'm uh, on the I'm on a, on a committee to help promote that program called Seek of Connecticut. You can Google it and, and check it out. Um, there's an event coming up in uh, uh, June, I believe on a Saturday and we're going to be having a whole slew of programs. And, you know, lastly, my, my site um, is, is www.fortelawgroup.com. Mm -hmm. And I have three office locations across the state. Shelton is where I'm primarily located, but I also have an office in Westport as well as West Hartford. Okay. So okay. you, you pretty, you yeah, my practice is got the triangle going I work in all the districts across the state. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This was good. This was very good. Harry, I'm going to play us out, and uh, I'll be back on Monday, but stay tuned for Pundits up in about 15 minutes.